It is winning season at my bookie. Use promo code GATERS on a deposit of $50 or more, and you can receive up to $200 in cash instantly to your MyBookie account. Bet anything, anytime, anywhere with MyBookie. Gators Breakdown. Because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown Podcast is ready to go. I'm your host, David Waters. You can find me on social media at GatorDave underscore SEC. At Gators Breakdown, coming at you on this Monday night, a couple days removed from Florida's overtime loss to Arkansas. Join me to break that game down, and we'll look forward a little bit as well as co-host Will Miles. You can find him at his site, readingreaction.com, on YouTube at Reading Reaction, which stand up and holler there with Nick Knudsen. All right, well, I guess we got to talk about this thing. Uh, <laughs> man, I'm tired of talking about losses, but uh, hey, that's just where we're at right now. Overtime loss to Arkansas, Will, and gut punch, my friend. That was a gut punch. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I think there's a couple of things. One is that um, it's not necessarily that Florida lost to Arkansas. I think the problem is that to you know those of us who are paying attention to the statistics, it shouldn't be a surprise that Florida lost to Arkansas. Like that they have different strengths and weaknesses, but they're essentially the same team. Once you get that that turnover to put Florida down 14 to nothing and you're behind that far, did a really nice job coming back, tying the game up. But basically it was just back and forth from that point on. And I know Arkansas was two and six, but we talked about all the one score losses and you you and I got some criticism for it last week, but we also went, went through all of the defensive shortcomings and a lot of those things showed up in this game in a big way. And it turns out that, that it's, like I've heard a lot of people that I saw somebody today relatively prominent. I can't remember who it was posted about the, I think it was Bianchi posted about that. Arkansas had more playmakers. Arkansas was more talented. I don't necessarily believe that. Yeah. I just think that when you look at the overall statistical profiles of the teams, they're pretty close to each other. And the question there was whether Arkansas's offense was going to be able to take a step forward against Florida's defense. Cause those were the weaknesses for each team. And you looked at, I think Arkansas came in averaging like 4.2 yards per play. Florida came in giving up 6.1 and Arkansas averaged 6.2. So that tells you right there. Arkansas's offense won. KJ Jefferson had averaged like a yard and a half a carry, runs for almost 100, runs for more than 100 in the second half. They had him running in the first half, second half, especially the fourth quarter. He just ran over Florida's defense. So a lot of things that are discouraging, but also, I mean, it's an overtime loss, right? It's not like they lost by 50. It's not like they lost, um, you know, in, in a real embarrassing fashion or something like that, other than maybe some of the uh, special team stuff that was going on there towards the end of regulation. But, uh, you know, we, we all, I think we all thought it was going to be close. It was like six points. Florida was favored, and then it got bet down to two and a half before game time. So clearly, there were some people. The Sharps were on Arkansas on that one, um, thinking it was going to be a lot closer. Florida has some defensive linemen uh, along with Shamar James who don't play, and uh, you know all those things sort of combined to put the Gators at a disadvantage and weren't able to pull this one out. Yeah, you and I both picked Florida to win a close one, and look, I didn't see it turning out like this. I mean. You tell me a game goes into the 30s, and I'm probably picking Florida. I mean, look, I was picking Florida anyway, but you tell me it gets to the 30s, I'll say, okay, well, Arkansas's offense is struggle. Florida will throw a score higher in the 30s. Well, that didn't turn out. Uh, once down 14 nothing, there was, you know, that was about the only way the game was going to turn out if it went to the 30s, I, I think, with Florida storming back. Uh, then it ends up, Will, like you said, more special teams blunders, more bad defense, more 
inconsistent offense. That side played well enough to win the game. Uh, just seems like nothing can come together. And I know Billy Napier's talked about it. I asked him about it last week on the SEC teleconference. What he didn't see in the first two months of the season that he wanted to see the rest of the season. He said, well, both both sides of the ball playing well, it all coming together. Um, and it did not come together on Saturday. Uh, but, uh, well, and something, you know, going to a point that you made just a second and, you know, it's, it's like you said, it's like they lost. It's not like they got blown out or whatever and they, they win in overtime. I was thinking about this today and I think one more disappointing aspect of the game was, man, you had two late, masterful drives on offense. Uh, the ETN drive where he takes over, the Boardingham drive where he takes over, you miss the field goal after that, that takes you to overtime, but then you just absolutely do nothing in overtime. And I'm sure the, the special teams blunder and the missed field goal probably deflated the offense a bit and maybe some confidence there. But, man, I mean, just to get to overtime, those were some really impressive drives there by the Gators, only for it not to amount to anything on offensive side in overtime, and then you get a first and 20 for Arkansas in overtime, and they make the plays uh, in overtime. And something we went back to last week, Will, that I kind of forgot. I was like, you know, I'm going Florida here. It was a home game, and, hey, I think Florida's got the better quarterback, but it was one quarterback. It was not a slam at Mertz. I'm just saying they, they had the quarterback that made the play in overtime. Well, I mean, look, anytime you've got a quarterback who runs for 92 yards on 17 carries, 5.4 yards per rush, and also throws 31 times for 255 yards, so averaged 8.2 yards per attempt, look, that's that's a good day at the quarterback position, mm-hmm. especially considering K.J. Jefferson didn't turn the ball over that much. In the first half, he was he was throwing the ball down the field pretty well, hit a couple of explosives, averaged 9.7 yards per, per attempt, but then on rushing, he was 7 for negative 10. Florida got to him four times in the first half, I think, and then only had one sack the rest of the game, missed one, or actually missed a couple. Um, Austin Armstrong had to keep bringing a blitz. It was one of the things I pointed out in my post game. Yeah. Uh, in my post game article is that you know they just basically played single high safety and had an extra guy up there to stop the run and couldn't stop the run right they got run over irrespective of bringing that extra guy down in the box you're going to struggle if you bring an extra man down in the box and you still can't stop the run and then on the offensive side of the ball hey, it, wait, 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 before, before you go off the defense before right quick you set your season high in sacks set your season high in tackles for loss there were two dropped interceptions I think probably uh, the ones I can count off the top of my head, if I remember right, too. I mean, it just it, it you got somewhat of a good point, and you were missing bodies. You, you were you did some good things on that side of the ball, but explosives, explosives on third down killed you. And then going to your recent uh, examples as well, it just. I mean the roller coaster. <laughs> it's just uh, uh, unreal how it, to me how, how how it played out with some of the good things that did happen on that side of the ball. Uh, I mean, it wasn't just the explosives, but that was a big part of it, right? So the defense gives up 19 plays of 10-plus yards. Arkansas came into the game averaging 10. They gave up two plays, more than 40 yards. Arkansas came into the game giving up a or getting a half of a half of one of those plays every game. So they gave up all of these explosives. And really, the two keys to the game that I had coming into it were K.J. Jefferson in the running game. Was he going to be able to revert back to 2021-2022, where he averaged like four and a half yards per rush, and he averaged five Point four yards per rush in this one, and then they it was the told explosives. Us that they told us they were going to do it. Yeah, well, I put I it mean, in my I put it in my preview. They were going to use his legs more. They told us in their own press conferences last week they were going to run him more. 
Well, but it's it's not a question of do you know it's coming. It's not like True. Florida was trying True. to make an adjustment and they couldn't do it. It's that they got out physical. They got beat up at the line of scrimmage. How many times did they hit Rocket Sanders five mm. yards downfield that turned into a 12-yard gain? Yeah. That happened multiple times. I mean, poor Jordan Castell just got completely blown back on the 20-yard run by, by K.J. Jefferson in overtime. And it was – over and over and over again. Even the fumble that Florida got that set up the touchdown to Ricky Pearsall, even that fumble, the running back, it wasn't Sanders, it was their other running back, mm-hmm. pushed past the line of scrimmage as they all sort of pushed the defensive line back, and Florida happens to get a hand in there and knock the ball out, but that was going to be a six-yard gain on something where they'd actually done a pretty nice job up front and just couldn't bring the running back down. And that was sort of the theme over and over and over again. And then every once in a while, there'd be a third down where where Arkansas would decide to throw it and there'd just be a guy wide open. And you're sitting there going, why is that guy never wide open for us <laughs> on third down? It's always like, you know, a slant where there's somebody right on him where, where he's open. And I think, you know, that really does speak to the difference between the two quarterbacks is everything is just difficult for Graham Mertz. Everything was easy for KJ Jefferson. And I'm actually really curious to see what happens when Arkansas plays Auburn next week, mm-hmm. because I suspect even though Auburn's defense isn't very good, I suspect Arkansas may go back to what they were a couple of weeks ago before they changed out. You know, this Florida offense is or Florida defense is is special and not necessarily in a good way. And uh, they've they've made a lot of teams really really good this season. And I'm really curious to see when when. Arkansas goes and plays a team, one that has a little bit of time to prepare for what they're doing, not coming off a bye week, and then also a team that is a little bit better than Florida. Not much. I think they're like 85th or something in yards per play allowed. But if Auburn shuts them down, then Florida's got no excuse, right? I didn't think they had any excuse coming into this one anyway. Sort of looked at it and said, look, if Arkansas can blow you off the ball, then that's a problem because Arkansas hasn't blown anybody else off the ball. But you start looking at that fourth quarter, and when Florida was rushing, when Florida had six guys in the box, all six got blocked. Every one of them by Arkansas's offensive line, one on one, guys were getting pushed back, and you know Arkansas hasn't done that to anybody this year. They were giving up something like nine tackles for loss and four and a half sacks a game or something like that. Florida got the sacks, got a few more tackles for loss, but the big thing is all that pressure was like Jaden Hill blitzing off the edge, yeah. was Human Melan coming around the edge. There was no pressure coming up the middle, no push coming up the middle, and it showed by the time the fourth quarter got around, the guys on the edge weren't making it in anymore. And once those guys weren't making it anymore, then Jefferson was able to take off up the middle. And because they were bringing up that safety, they were in man-to-man. When you're in man-to-man against a running quarterback, you're in trouble because you're not paying attention. You're not, you know, your defenders in the secondary aren't looking at him, and you're going to get a bunch of big runs that pop. Oh uh, yeah, we had you know, Kelby Collins uh, got a really good PFF grade. And I, I'm PFF, uh, I kind of take it or leave it sometimes, but I mean. That did confirm. I think he played well from what we saw, especially as a true freshman. I thought he played did some nice things, filling in for Sap. Uh, Devin Moore snaps continues to go up. I tweeted it out today. Um, Jason Marshall played sixty nine snaps. Will probably played one of his best games of the season too. I remember the uh, tackle he fought through on a block on a screenplay. He made a big play early in the game there. Uh, Devin Moore sixty five snaps. Jalen Kimber eighteen, and of course Jalen Kimber one of his eighteen was uh, an explosive there for Arkansas. Uh, Jakeem Jackson with fourteen. So I, I tweeted that I'm interested interested to see how that shakes out the rest of the season. Uh, but if you go to the Arkansas game, I know a lot of people have wanted to see Devin Moore. He spoke to the media today saying, hey, look, I, I've been hurt. Uh, I'm fighting through injuries. Uh, now maybe he's on the men. We'll see him on the field a bit more to end this season. Uh, but Marshall 69, Devin Moore 65 snaps. Uh, and I think the Gators, uh, Arkansas had just over 70 something plays uh, in, in the game. 
so you, you see how that's shaking out. But a lot of new guys, you see a defensive back rotation that maybe starting to take some form uh, there. Would Kimber maybe get less snaps with his play lately? Devin Moore being healthy, getting more snaps. We'll see how it goes here uh, to finish that out. But that was kind of the highlight I saw from today, Will. Uh, Kelby Collins, true freshman, coming in, has played well in, in spurts this year. Um, playing a pretty good overall game, as you said. I think toward the end of that game, defense probably just worn out uh, a bit. And then what's kind of shaking out there in the defensive backfield? Yeah, I mean, so there are guys who flash, and then there are mistakes that are made. And you're going to see that with young teams all the time. I think the – and a lot of people, when I've criticized the defense this weekend, last week, have pointed out how young they are. And I, I agree in some respects. Right. At the same time, like, you know they're not teaching some of the tackling that we saw. Um, or if they are, they we need new staff if that's how they're <laughs> teaching how to tackle. Um, Castell had a really tough – Really tough game. Um, there was a third down on a little crosser where Derek Wingo kind of got turned around. He was in coverage, but Castell was there and could have come in and stopped it or at least slowed him down. Instead, dives at his feet, goes right by him, ends up being a 48-yard run or 48-yard run after the catch. Um, you had a bunch of running plays where Castell was the deep safety, came up to be the guy who needs to be the enforcer and get that guy to the ground. Not always able to do that. So, you know, that, that, but he was not, he was far from the only one who, who was, who was an issue. And I think one of the things you could see, and we saw it in the Kentucky game too, is that uh, offenses have decided and know that they can take advantage of Florida's secondary when it comes to tackling. And that is going to have to improve because they're not getting guys to the ground and things are turning from a 10 yard gain into a 40 yard gain and from a, from a three yard gain to a nine yard gain. When Austin Armstrong's talked all the time about getting teams into third and eight, they weren't getting anybody into third Mm -hmm. and eight in this one, unless it was something with a sack. And even then they still sort of had the threat on, on some of those deep passes that Jefferson was able to hit. I think he hit uh, Washington, I think on a deep one down the sideline over Jalen Kimber. Now that one, I think he was supposed to have deep help from Castell out there. It looked like they were playing cover two, but it ended up being one-on-one coverage on the outside because the safety didn't necessarily get over there. But again, I don't know what they called, so that may not be what the call was. But uh, um, yeah, it's... With Kimber snaps dwindling, maybe, I don't know, maybe it was Kimber, a good point with the safety maybe being out of position, but... if snap count plays some role in that, maybe it was more on Kimber. I don't know. Like you said, I'm kind of assuming there. Well, and I'm interested to see what happens, right? I mean, th- this is something now where, look, you're preparing for 2024 is what you're really doing at this point. So getting guys snaps when they're equal, you got to give it to the younger guy. Um, you don't want to give it to him if he's not equivalent, if he hasn't earned it. But if it, if you're sitting there going back and forth, you got to give it to the younger guys because it's mm-hmm. time. It's time to prepare for 2024. It's time to make sure that next year nobody can go, well, we're young. It's like, look, you can't be young three years in a row. <laughs> right. at, some, at some point, you got to be a developed. At some point, you've got enough snaps. You need to be out there, and you need to be um, you need to be effective. Obviously, I think there are some places they're going to try to supplement with the transfer portal this offseason. Yeah. And hopefully, some of these guys they're bringing in, the top 100 guys in this recruiting class, are going to be able to step right in and earn snaps or at least put massive competition behind the guys who are, who are already there. And, and that will all, you know. The, the rising tide raises all boats, and that's sort of the hope moving forward. But right now, just nothing's consistent. Nothing's consistent. And it's not like they it's not like they win three plays and then lose one. It's like they lose three plays and then win one. Yeah. And you know, you, you're not gonna you're not gonna do very much uh, successfully when you do that. Now, look, part of the 39 points though, there is an overtime touchdown, and yeah. then there is the touchdown on Pearsall. So you do kind of need to need to back up and say, um, 
you know, say that, look, it wasn't like they were completely inept. They did get some stops. At the same time, this is not an offense that can make up for 14 mistakes on defense, just like this isn't a defense that can make up for 14 mistakes on offense. And Napier talked today in his press conference. I don't know if you'll have it in the comments or in the in the footage that you pulled out, but he talked today in his press conference about 12 plays that he thought that Florida really didn't execute, that Florida hurt Florida on. And I'm like, well, 12 is a lot <laughs> when there's only when there's only 130 snaps or something 12 is a lot and uh and i i'm not sure that he's counting the ones where you know where they're running out on the field and having a fire drill and not having the right number of guys on for an extra point and those sorts of things so i i there's still a lot of mistakes being made and you know i don't know when those are going to get corrected but uh you know hopefully by the end of the year yeah, hey, we'll get into that. Uh, we'll, we we will hear from Billy Napier and some of the things he had to say on special teams today and staff evaluation today. Uh, two main takeaways from the press conference he had today, and then Will and I will kind of peek ahead a bit to uh, you know looking at this Gator team right now. Uh, the kind of theme of this episode it is desperation mode for the Gators now. Uh, losing this game against Arkansas, three tough games coming up, and hey, Gators got to be desperate to go get an upset win to go get bowl eligible. Uh, and hey, that's what we'll talk about in this episode. Uh, but hey, stay tuned to Gators Breakdown this week. Uh, hey, well, I got Shane Matthews and Montreal Johnson will be on the podcast this week. So good, good uh, gets there uh, for, for for Gator Nation. Getting to hear from uh, Shane and um, and, and Montreal uh, and Montreal through Florida Victoria. So big thanks to them uh, for setting that up. So pretty good. Uh, interviews coming your way here on Gators Breakdown. Of course, you can keep up at GatorsBreakdown.com. You can check out Seth's latest, uh, Scheming with Seth. Head coach and offense coordinator is Billy Napier trying to do too much. Hey, we'll get into that just a bit too uh, here on this episode of Gators Breakdown. And of course, you can find even more at Gators Breakdown Plus. You get those ad-free episodes, Discord chats, Discord chats, um, you know, text base, voice base for extra episodes there as well. You get a GatorsBreakdown.com newsletter, all that good stuff at Gators Breakdown. Plus, link is in the description to join that. So, all right, well, let's get to Billy Napier. And, of course, after the game against Arkansas, he was certainly asked about the special teams blunders that were there Saturday. He said he needed to dive deeper in uh, to the special teams issues and he did so over the weekend and then was asked about it today substitution infraction late in regulation you said you were going to dig in and maybe get some answers on that what did you find out and how can you improve that process moving forward yeah no i think ultimately we made a mistake there uh, and every part of our organization is ultimately my responsibility so um, you know i think it's something that we can do better and uh, it's my job to get it done better like a player is in charge of or at least vocalizing is that is that misspoke like is it coaches analysts like who's actually responsible for getting that calling out the whatever the call is to get the the kicking unit on the field yeah no it's it's not a player's decision okay for anyone to equate that or, or write that or think that i think would be inaccurate ultimately a player one of the players is in charge of that unit, right? Much like the quarterback, when the offense takes the field, he, he calls the play and says the cadence and we take the field. So, no, that's always a coaching decision. One second ago about special teams. Uh, another uh, field goal with only 10 guys on the field. How does that keep happening? 
What play are you talking about specifically? It was field goal block. Uh, yeah, uh, Arkansas's 37-yard field goal in the second quarter. So our field goal block team is what you're saying. Yeah. So we had a player injured on the on the possession, the play right before, uh, and ultimately that's what contributed to that. Uh, the backup wasn't quite on the same page, and uh, that's what happened. One of those has an individual explanation, but I think what frustrates fans, I mean, we're getting it, and you're here, I'm sure, is you know, why yeah. these things keep happening, you know, right. nine games into the season. Right. What, 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 like, somebody says, what the hell's going on? What do we tell right. them? Well, I think it's, I think, um, look, we get, we can do it better, you know. It's, it's pretty simple, you know. Get 11 out there. Um, pretty simple. Pretty simple, Will. Um, <laughs> apparently, it's not. I mean, <laughs> this is this went through. Hey, this is what's happening. Uh, it's been special teams blunders dating back to last year, but even in year two, from game one against Utah to you know the same numbers of the same number being out there on the jersey guys, and then uh, Kentucky and the and the and the jumping up the 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 shield the punt shield and Georgia realizing there's only. Two in the punt shield for Florida, sending extra, their defenders on the field, sending extra defenders because they only see two and get a block punt and seeing the missed field goals and, you know, trying to come up late to come around on Trace Mack as the kicker. And I mean, it's just been a litany of issues. Uh, and of course, that's why he's been asked about it a, a good bit today. I want to go back to something, Will, too, of um, maybe it was confusing the way he said it the other day, but it did make it sound like maybe a player decision for, you know, to run out on the field and, and bring the other guys with him on the, on the field goal try that ended up being an illegal substitution for Florida. I mean, you can see if you watch the replay, I believe it's Jeremy Crawshaw who's the holder. He's waving a towel and he runs out there and a whole bunch of guys you know, are following him. And you, you know, you'd love to have a coach right in this guy's face where even if that tries to happen, tries to happen that it doesn't that somebody's there to hold them at bay uh but there we go there's one of our lack of not having a dedicated special teams guy on the sideline probably comes back to haunt florida a bit but well i think you can tell there at least toward the end of the sound bites there that um this is a this is an issue that maybe even billy napier i don't i'm sure he's perturbed about it in the locker room in meetings in film review but certainly in the media setting He's also perturbed by it. Well, it's embarrassing when your team can't execute properly on things that are basic, like things that are, you know, the first couple of days of install, like having 11 guys on the field is something that you'd start doing in Pop Warner, right? Like I came from a flag football practice before here and we were working on getting up on the line of scrimmage and we were working on like splits in terms of having guys wide enough and those sorts of things. And, you know, the kids there might get confused in terms of how many, how many guys need to be on the field by the time they get to middle school football, high school football, and certainly college football, they know all the substitution packages or they should know all the substitution packages. You should know when someone's injured. What's the word? How do you communicate that? How does that make its way down the chain? Because if the guy's injured, then you got to let people know that he's injured. And there's got, and hell, if you have 12 guys run out there, you run the guy out and <laughs> take the penalty. And uh, we'd be bitched about that too, I suppose. Yes. But um, yeah. yeah, look, look, the, the reality is, is that, whether it's a player who's responsible or not, there was a timeout directly before that play. And so how that player was not pulled aside by a coach 
and told this is this these are the scenarios that could happen right the guy could get pulled down in bounds the guy could get out of bounds the guy it could be an incomplete pass and so then we're going to have like a you know we're going to have to have a fire drill with like 2 seconds left while we're trying to get on the field they aren't kicking that field goal anyway with eight seconds left. Like if they get exactly. set up and then try to snap it, they're not getting that field goal. Exactly. Off. They didn't have time. So the fact that the field goal unit was going out there anyway, to me, the problem isn't that they complete the pass to Boardingham and then they're running mm-hmm. out there. The problem is no one communicated to them before the pass to Boardingham what they were supposed to do. And again, that would fall on a special teams coach. And this is where not having that guy there is critical. But at the same time, like those sort of communications i mean hell if you're the defensive backs coach you should be able to walk over there and tell those guys what they need to do in that particular situation again i think this is one of those things where matrix organizations you see this all the time right if you have dotted line responsibility to two people you have no responsibility to anyone and i think that's really what's happening at this point is you got a lot of dotted line responsibility and there's nobody that napier can look at and say that guy's responsible he's the one who needs to make it better and maybe i'll take a bullet during the press conference but damn it that's going to get better he just has, doesn't have the ability to do that right now because so i actually heard an interesting theory earlier somebody i i think it was on twitter um Somebody suggested that he's got analysts on the sideline doing things that they shouldn't be doing, and that's one of the reasons why they talked about it being a player who screwed it up. But even then, your analyst isn't doing it right if that's what's going on over there. Yeah. So I just look at it and I go, every time – and I said this after the Utah game because he was talking about you know these situations that they'd never seen before and stuff like yeah. that. I'm like, and, and But he was saying everything was clean in practice. And I remember saying specifically, I don't believe you. And I think it's the same thing here. Is that I well, don't you, believe you got, that you got a, you got a shout out on Gators Breakdown Plus for this exact remark that you're talking about. <laughs> I mean, again, it's it's just excuses, right? And and the excuses fly in your first year when you can sit there and say, "Look, these aren't my players. These, you know, we're working our way through. Not everybody's on the same page. All that stuff." But they went youth specifically. And in many ways, they've been selling this idea of culture, right? That they're changing the culture, that they're shifting the culture. Well, part of that culture has to be accountability, do your job, know what you're supposed to do, know situational football, be smart, understand how to gain an edge. And they just aren't doing any of that right now. And, you know, the comment that's going to infuriate most people, I know you don't have it on here, but the comment that's going to infuriate most people is Napier during that same press conference today said, well, if it wasn't for the missed PAT and the missed field goal, special teams is pretty good. And uh, that's not the exact context of what he was saying. I mean, he was saying the context was that, uh, you know that that they had fixed a bunch of things in the return schemes and 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 those sorts of things and that's true but again i look at i look at college football and what 80 90 100 programs figure out a way to make every extra point every week and florida maybe doesn't miss an extra point every week but what is this the third is this the third missed pat so far for florida this year it's yeah i mean it's it's around that number I mean, again, I just look at it and I go, one missed PAT? Okay, but it's every week. It's systemic. And so when you talk about process, and that's really what Napier has has touted since he got here, was a process that they're going to follow. Well, to me, the process is broken because your process is not producing results that make sense. And you can't explain to me 
why the process isn't producing results. And maybe he doesn't want to, maybe he doesn't feel like he needs to, but, uh, but he keeps losing to teams like Arkansas. He's going to feel like he's going to feel enough heat that he's going to have to start explaining why, because that's the thing is I think most people will give him the rope if they have the hope that things are going to get fixed. The problem is, is that you don't get any rope when you say we'll get it fixed. And then the next week, the same thing happens. And the next week, the same thing happens. The next week, the same thing happens. And it's just, uh, Again, I go back to tell me something I can actually believe and and I'm fine with it. I have no problem with you saying, yeah, we've really struggled this year in this area. This is something we are going to get fixed. It's not a one-week fix and we're going to have to go back and look at all of our stuff after the season. I'd actually be okay with that. Maybe some fans wouldn't be, but I'd be okay with that because at least I'd feel like you're telling me the truth. Um, in this case, it's just, you know, he sort of stonewalled there at that point. It's like, it's on me. It's yeah. on me. It's on me. You're right. It is now. And, uh, you know, next week, if there's another special teams gaff, that one's on Napier because that's what he said. Yeah, kind of going to that, we'll, we'll extend almost that same exact thought here. And, hey, look, to help lighten the load, we know, well, maybe some staff changes are needed for this Gator staff. And, hey, look, it may be coming after the season as well. And, well, that's pretty much what Billy Napier says. Much like everything we do i think there's some some good and some bad you know i think we uh just each year you know i think uh when the season's over you go back you quality control sometimes you know um mid season mid even in the off season you know i think you have an um, idea where you're going to make adjustments relative to what's required to get us where we want to go right so um yeah, I mean, I think all those things are end-of-year approaches. Now's not the time to do that. I mean, you may be taking notes along the way. Um, but I think from a process standpoint, uh, we we try to continue to get better. You know, part of your job as a leader is to coach the people that work for you to some degree, right? Areas where we can get better at our process. Um, and I think we've done that for the most part since we've been here. So... Um, you know, all the changes and how you evolve your infrastructure, your workflows. I think all those things are typically done when the year's over. So, okay, Will. Well, there's one thing that may wait till the year is over. And, hey, look, roles have shifted as far as the offensive staff goes this season a little bit. Nothing too drastic. Um, you know, maybe uh, certain staff members, Callaway being more involved in the red zone planning yeah, at some point this season. Uh, there's an example. But, it's still nature calling plays. Um, and look, that's not changing with three games remaining. So uh, in offense, look, isn't the big issue compared to defense and special teams uh, from, from what we see. And look, the flow can get off at times. Personnel decisions at times are questionable in offense, but it's good enough to, to win games. But you know, I've said it before, and we've detailed the special teams. We've, blunt, we've sp- displayed them here. Um, the entire game day operation needs to be overhauled. If that takes... Napier giving up play calling duty, then so be it. You can find someone as good or better there, uh, but he needs to make sure order is everywhere else on game day. And look, Napier, uh, uh, look, for me, for, for one thing, when you hire a, a coach, he is definitely, you, you hired him for a reason. He is afforded to do it his way, and he should be afforded. That's why he was successful to begin with. Um, he deserves to do the right, to do it the way he wants to do. And if you go back, he did say earlier, he goes, I like having my hand on the scripts, the installation, that process. I think I can help establish our identity. 
and personality as a team through that process. I think if you get too far away from that, I think there could be something from a sustainable sustainability repeatable part. So Napier's huge on continuity. He has said that over and over and over again this year. Um, you know, well, Will, if he's going to talk about adjustments and quality control and getting better at the process and evolving, all those key words he brought up, well, you know, it has to start with him, I think, giving up play calling duties, lending eyes to helping other places. You know, this Army isn't getting it done on game day. That, the game day operation from the Army is maybe off the field that it, it, it's showing up, but on the field, on game days, it's not showing up. Certainly needs to be reevaluated at, at, at season's end, but there's a lot that goes into this. But uh, I think for him to get this thing fixed, a lot of these game day issues we're seeing, maybe being the OC play caller on game days, isn't the route to go. Yeah, it's interesting that he likes the ability to have his hands in that so that he can establish the team's identity. And I have no idea what the identity of this team is. Just none. Right. And that was one of the things I put in my post game is yeah. I think that's what they got to find in the last three games. Like you came into this season going, this is going to be a team that's going to pound the ball. And they have repeatedly gone away from it, even when they've had success. Like I thought they had pretty good success on the ground against Arkansas and they threw the ball a ton with Mertz. I think you could say the same thing about the Utah game. They got away from it really early on. I, I think Utah dominated them up front, but I don't think they actually gave the offensive line an opportunity to try to do it. They brought in all these transfers. They did all the evaluations. They've done the recruiting. And if that's going to be your identity, then you got to establish that as your identity, and you can't go away from it after three or four plays. You, you saw it against Georgia. They had a wonderful scripted set of plays, everything going to Trey Wilson. That's a great identity to have too, where you're getting the ball to number three a lot on the outside, where you're finding different ways to get him the ball. And then they had a beautiful play on a third down where they had him in the backfield, had him come across the formation for a nine-yard gain on a third and eight. All of a sudden, get a first down, hit him on the little post that goes down in between the, uh, you know, goes down for the touchdown. You're up seven nothing on Georgia. He never went back in the backfield again that game, as far as I could see. I didn't see Trey Wilson in the backfield at running back in this one either. They they have things they can do. They're not going to that well repeatedly and doing those things repeatedly. And what that means is I don't know where Trey Wilson is going. Like, like I don't know how they're going to maximize what they get out of Trey Wilson game to game. I don't know how they're going to maximize what they get out of Ricky Pearsall game to game. I don't know how they're going to maximize what they get out of um, ETN game to game. And certainly on the defensive side of the ball, I don't know what the identity is either. And so I'm glad you want to have your hands in it. That's all well and good, but I'm still looking at it going like the identity you wish to instill into the team is not being instilled. At least it's not being communicated to the people who are watching the team play. And so that's the argument I think for giving up play calling dude. That's the argument for delegating is that you're not doing what you wanted to accomplish by having your hands in it and all these other mm -hmm. things are suffering in the middle of it. So it's not just that all the other things are suffering, though that might be enough to give up play calling <laughs> duties altogether. But it's it that you're not actually accomplishing the goal. So mm -hmm. it's like if Bobby Petrino wanted to be the offensive coordinator of a team that he was the head coach of, or Lane Kiffin wants to be the offensive coordinator of a team he's the head coach of, and the game day operation stuff. Andy Reid was famous for this when he was with the Eagles. He was just a terrible clock manager. The, the yeah. Eagles constantly were flubbing clock management stuff. But the Eagles were really, really good every year because Andy Reid turns out as a damn good offensive coordinator and a really good offensive mind. 
But when he started winning Super Bowls was when Bienemy came in. He trusted him enough to hand over the play calling duties, and, and they sort of shared those play calling duties cool. in the first Super Bowl. But tr- had someone in there to help supplement him with that, and then also brought in people to help him with clock management as well, and sort of said, "These are my weaknesses. I'm going to bring in people to supplement those, and in areas where I'm strong." I'll still participate. Again, I have no problem with them participating in the game plan, mm-hmm. participating in the script, participating in all those sorts of things. It's just that at some point when the uh, you know at some point when the kicker can't make a PAT and when you can't get enough guys on the field, you got to have somebody who's running around cracking heads as opposed to um, somebody who's who's necessarily playing calls on the sidelines. So, like. I think there's more to be done on the defensive side of the ball than there is on the offensive side of the ball when yeah. I look at these teams. I mean, if Florida Florida's actually gotten a little bit lucky in terms of the points they've given up, but even if they had an offense that was top 20, they still would have the same 4 and 3 record in their uh in their FBS games. I mean, just because of point differential. They've given up so many points that the offensive <laughs> they're actually a little bit lucky to be 4 and 3 in those games, especially when you think about that South Carolina game. And uh, you know, that's yeah, just you pretty, the reality. You pretty, much, you pretty much would just flip South Carolina the Arkansas game, maybe. Yeah, maybe. But I mean, again, like you're not you're not getting anywhere if the offense is just slightly better and the defense remains the way it is. So even from the standpoint of just instilling a toughness that that kind of tackling that we saw this weekend is unacceptable because we've seen that kind of tackling against Kentucky. We've Mm -hmm. seen that kind of tackling against Georgia. We've seen that kind of tackling now against Arkansas. And we saw that kind of tackling against South Carolina as well. If that kind of tackling continues, this team's going to struggle all year long. It doesn't matter what the offense does. So we can sit there and talk about play calls. I mean, I highlighted a play in my in my postgame where the where the right tackle and the wide receiver Neither one of them blocked somebody on a screen pass. They sort of ran into each other. And all of a sudden, poor Montreal Johnson's getting hit by a linebacker and a corner, and none of his blockers blocked anybody. <laughs> and I'm going, uh, you know, quarterback did everything right. The running back did everything right. The play caller did everything right because it was the right play call at that time. Players didn't execute. But again, I think that all sort of goes back to the head man. At some point, the, the players have to execute on those sorts of things, or you're giving them too much. They're not able to process it, and they can't go out and just play fast because that's what it looked like. It looked like two guys who weren't exactly sure what they were supposed to do. Arkansas knew what their responsibilities were, beat them to the punch, and all of a sudden, Florida's punting rather than picking up a first down. Yeah, so look, uh, I, I think it's pretty obvious Florida's going to have an offensive coordinator next year that's dedicated to play calling. Uh, pretty much, that, the writing's on the wall uh, there, and hopefully, as you know, we we see that open up things for Napier to help out in other areas, and, and game day operation is better. Um, but I, I think as far as that goes, and maybe we get into this uh, after do the ad read, but we all just certainly have more questions than I thought we would have at this point in Billy Napier's 11 and 11 tenure right now uh, at, at Florida. Uh, so, I mean, and look, I think that's fair. I don't think that's a, a, a harsh critique or anything. I just think there are still more questions than I think many of us thought we would have at this point. Yeah, I know it's still early. It's a, just over a season and a half. I still got more questions than I thought I'd have. I think the concern is, is that we're getting answers. We just don't like them. Ooh. And and that and that maybe, may be that may be where we're at, right? Yeah. Is is that you know the the answers are we don't like what we see clearly, um, 
I think there's a lot of chatter about when you come in and have to turn a program around that's sort of in the in the downslide, that that first year is really sort of a year zero. Dave Wonderlick over at Gator Country had a good article about this today. There are a lot of realities about the finances associated with Napier's contracts and all of his assistance contracts and things like that that limit Florida doing anything drastic anyway. But beyond that, I mean, he is – he has turned around the recruiting apparatus in a way that these other coaches have not been able to do that. Now, again, I think it's absolutely fair to go. The question out there is, is he Ron Zook or is he Urban Meyer? Right. And, and, or is he somewhere in between? And Ron Zook was really, really good at bringing in high level talent, brought in a high level quarterback. And that quarterback wound up winning Florida national championship, but he didn't win Florida national championship while Ron Zook was the head coach. And, uh, you know, it's funny. Like, there's a lot of people today who've been asking me, you know, what do you think about Napier? Do you think he has what it ha- what it takes? And I'm like, it's not a question of does Napier have what it takes. It's does DJ Lagway? Because this whole mm-hmm. thing, the minute Jaden Rashada, this, uh, you know, the minute that whole thing went on, um, and Rashada wound up going to Arizona State and didn't come to Gainesville, they had one shot. That DJ Lagway has to be a quarterback who can transform the program, and that's a lot of pressure to put on the kid. And you know, I'm. I don't necessarily feel like it's fair to put the kind of pressure on the kid, <laughs> but that's the reality, right? The reality is Florida's going to need high level quarterback play to make this offense go. They're going to need high level quarterback play to probably overcome some talent deficits they have in a few games over the next couple of years. And if Lagway comes in and plays like DJ Yui Agalele at Clemson, we're going to be looking for a new coach. If he comes in, he plays like Trevor Lawrence. Well, all right, we won't be looking for a new coach. That's kind of the way it's going to be is the answers are going to come in the, in the form of these guys who are coming in this 2024 class and whether the level of talent that they bring and the level of play that they bring can, uh, you know, and along with fixing some of these things on the side, can all of those things sort of come together to gel? And if they don't, then, you know, a couple of years from now, we'll be having a different conversation. I think it comes to what we see now, Will, is there's – Throw experience out of it. I know that's hard to do, but there's teams, you know, Kentucky, Vanderbilt last year, you know, South Carolina, close game with them, Arkansas. You know, those games, those type of games where right, the talent level, Florida's probably a hair above, and you struggle in those games. All right, so when you do maybe get the talent a hair below Georgia, maybe equal to LSU, Tennessee, those schools – if you're coaching the same way you are now, why do I believe you can beat those teams even when you get the talent? No, I mean, I, th- I think that's a legitimate, <laughs> legitimate comment. I mean, look, he's got... No, I mean, and talent can mask a whole lot of issues. Now, a lot of these issues that we see on game days now, if the talent's there, maybe, maybe they mask it. Some of the games get better. You're not in as close games, but... You're going to be in close games with Georgia and LSU and Bama if you play them, Texas, Oklahoma. We got to throw them into the mix now, too, as well. I mean, you're going to find yourself in some tight games that we see Billy Napier in now with the likes of Kentucky. Well, Kentucky, I mean, close this year. Um, Vanderbilt last year, South Carolina, those teams that have given Florida issues in close game situations. Is that just going to translate now if the talent is here to those? better teams and you're still lacking the coaching decisions. Uh, I actually think the bigger thing is so Napier now is in his sixth year as a head coach. He's played in 28 one score games, which is an awful lot of one score games. He's got 20 one score wins. Only two are teams that are ranked ahead of him in the FPI at the time, at the end of the year. 
He has eight one-score losses. Six are to teams ranked better than him in the FPI, and two are to teams that were ranked near 100, um, Coastal in 2018 and then Vandy in 2022. So he is. it is possible for him to get sniped by somebody in a one-score loss, but he's not beating teams necessarily on a regular basis that are better than him. So if I were to say in the six years that you look at Billy Napier in those close games, is he making a huge difference? Now he's 20 and eight in those games. A lot of that came at Louisiana in his last two years. But you know, I think he's I think he's like six and six at Florida, actually something like that. Five and five, six and six, something like that at Florida. But um he's um you know, those close games are the ones where you make your battle. And as of right now, when he plays teams that are equivalent talent or better, he tends to come up short. He came up big in those games at Louisiana when teams had less talent or were a, a less competent team throughout the year. So now I look at the games coming up, right? LSU or Missouri or Florida State or even Arkansas. You look at that one. Arkansas was sort of close when it came to FBI, actually a couple spots ahead of Florida now. Um, you know, Those are games where you look at and go, yeah, South Carolina, a little bit worse team than Arkansas. Florida's able to get the win. Arkansas, a little bit better team on the FBI basis, not necessarily yeah. record. But look, South Carolina's record isn't that good either right now. I think I made a joke last week that South Carolina's 2-6 yeah. and six too. Yeah. Um, you know, and uh, and you know when the when the level of play or level of team is equivalent, he's really struggled so far. He's going to have to prove that. He's going to have to improve that overall, or he's going to have to make it to where there's only two or three teams that are better than him in the country at any given yeah. time, and then every team you beat will be a team that's worse than you. But those are the two ways to win. And Kirby Smart sort of got got the same profile when you look at Kirby Smart and his one score games. Now they don't play near as many one score games as they used to when he started there. But he didn't clean up. He lost to a South Carolina team that his team had no business losing to. Lost to a Vanderbilt team, the Tennessee team on that Hail Mary on that ridiculous mm-hmm. on the ridiculous back and forth there in his first year. He lost a few of those games. The difference is now he doesn't lose to anybody who's who's typically less talented than Florida or than Georgia or a significantly lesser team. They'll have a couple of close wins every once in a while, but the, they turn that in. The Missouri game last year is a great example. The South Carolina game this year is a good example. Those sorts of things, and a lot of that comes from just their margin for error is a lot bigger. And Florida doesn't have much margin for error right now. And that includes Napier, right? Napier has not proven that he builds a margin of error into the team. And without that margin for error, Florida's going to struggle until they get to a point where the team's able to execute better than everybody else out there. And there you go. That comes full circle back around to the point where maybe my worry of his game day coaching and if the recruiting is there and out coaching Georgia and out coaching Bama and Texas, Oklahoma, those schools. Maybe if he's not the play caller, maybe those same issues that we see won't be there. So that's where I can come full circle <laughs> around there uh, to that error. The, 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 the errors that we're seeing maybe won't be there uh, once a lot of that responsibility is taken out of this plate on game day. So all right, we went a little bit longer on that topic than I thought we would. So we'll have to get back to the theme of the episode here in just a second. Hey, but before we do. When your money's on the line, choose a trusted sports book that gives you the tools to win like my bookie. At my bookie, it doesn't matter if your team is up or down. You can easily cash out or bet the game live to come out on the winning side. Use my bookie for daily odds boost, same game parlays, and take advantage of huge prize pool contests. Plus, my bookie has a no-strings-attached cash bonus that lets you deposit and withdraw quick. Just use promo code GATORS on your first deposit and receive up to $200 in cash. Hey, not much longer to bet on football, so hey, everybody, jump in to my bookie. One more time, that's promo code GATORS to claim your own cash bonus now. Try the MyBookie money bag to grab a potential Super Bowl front runner at long shot odds. 
Bet anything, anytime, anywhere at my bookie. All right, well, uh, a couple of housekeeping notes, too, before we kind of get into the rest of this season a bit. Missouri game is a 7.30 game now, so two night games in a row for the Gators on the road this week at LSU, next week at Missouri. Uh, so two night games, and they look, uh, I won't be traveling from Gainesville, so I won't be getting home at like 2 o'clock in the morning for these night games. So uh, uh, we'll, we'll see. Get to watch football all day. I, I'm glad these are night games. I didn't watch football all day long before you have to uh, you know, watch a Gator game. And I've, I miss a lot of football when I go to the games and, and tailgate with Harmonic Woods, and we have a grand old time, and you know, football may be on in the background sometimes. Sometimes it's not. Uh, but I'll get to catch up on a whole lot of other football uh, with two night games in a row. Yeah, well, I, look, I, I don't sympathize too much with you because I'd rather be there at the tailgate <laughs> than, uh, than some of the stuff I'm doing. But, but, uh, I, didn't, I didn't mean to make it sound like that. <laughs> no, <laughs> not at all. But, hey, it was fun watching the Alabama-LSU game this weekend. It was fun watching Washington I was hoping, and, and I was USC to see that and all one, those yeah. sorts of things. So, yeah, it's always good. I mean, obviously, we love the sport. It's not just uh, – mm-hmm. just, but it, it is kind of nice to have the night games again. The noon games, just they don't really have the – the panache and, and I've got enough kids running around at this point that all of a sudden I always have a conflict if it's a noon game or a three thirty game. So uh, I wouldn't mind a three thirty game this year just to get it in the CBS slot. And you know, that means Florida's playing an important game if they're playing the three thirty game. So probably no more of those the rest of the season, but, uh, um, but yeah, I mean, look, it's going to be fun. Obviously, at least it's not an 11 a.m. start up in Columbia. Mm-hmm. That's nice that it won't be that. And Baton Rouge, I mean, hell, the night games there are fun, irrespective of what the result is. Those That's a fun environment, good thing for the players. And if you're somebody who had the opportunity and the foresight to plan a trip out there for this one, since it's probably the last time these guys are necessarily going to be regular rivals year after year after year, um, you know, you should have a good one then and be, be at night there in Baton Rouge. All right, and of course, uh, unfortunate news, Jack Pyburn out for the season, torn torn ACL on the kickoff return versus Arkansas. He was actually playing pretty well out, out there but before he got hurt. Of course, Sapp was out, so he had to step up. Kelby Collins had to step up, uh, but Jack Pyburn, so now hopefully Sapp is back this week uh, to give Florida some depth there at one of the edge spots, uh, the defensive end spots there for the Gators. So we'll see. Uh, Billy Napier will update us on Wednesday when he usually updates injuries there. Uh, Pyburn was the one to announce that today on social media uh, that he tore his ACL. But unfortunate for the young player, hopefully bounces back. Uh, you don't have to worry about that kid putting in the work to uh, get back. So don't be surprised if you hear him back faster than you hear from a lot of ACLs uh, out there. But uh Stinks, Wells, were coming down and dueling down to the season. Depths will be ever so important for the Gators, and it took another hit right there. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's just one of the unfortunate things about football. Obviously, you feel for the player, feel for Pyburn specifically, but, uh, you know, that's just the reality of the sport is that it's it's something that takes a toll on these guys' bodies. It's one of the reasons why I think, um, you know, the vitriol and all that sort of stuff after a loss, and look, I get it. I understand fans put a lot into this. Nobody puts as much into it as the players, especially when you think about, you know, some of these guys are going to be walking differently 10, 15, 20 years from now because of what they're doing right now. And so I certainly wish Pyburn the, uh, the quickest recovery he can and and hopefully everything goes successful with the surgery associated with that injury and he gets back as quick as he can and is uh lighten it up on the defensive end real quick next year yeah hopefully so hopefully so so 
All right, well, let's get to it uh, a bit before we wrap up this episode. And you know, when you and I were discussing what the episode what was going to be about today, and I, I kind of wanted to put the theme there for, hey, look, this is desperation mode uh, for Florida. And you hope it doesn't never have to come to this, uh, honestly. You hope the team and the program and everybody involved attacks every game with the same level. Uh, but we know that hasn't been the case this year. But now, hey, look, this, it's do or die uh, now if, if you want to make a bowl game um there and you know you just want to win games honestly you don't necessarily want to equate it to um just making a bowl game that's what can be the outcome right now but uh after and i'm sure the team and and everybody kind of thought this too that this game was a winnable game versus arkansas well now it's back against the wall uh and it's desperation mode and as unlikely as it may look, Will, is right now to get another win, you know, the game still has to be played. Uh, upsets happen all the time. This is college football. LSU may be playing this week without Jaden Daniels. We'll see the latest there. As he was knocked out in the Alabama game. Uh, Missouri will be hosting Florida with coming off of games against Georgia and Tennessee back-to-back. And then, of course, you got Florida State in the season finale in the swamp with Florida trying to play spoiler uh, to FSU's possible college football playoff chances. So, look, I won't be picking Florida in any of those games, but at the same time, I won't be shocked if they get a victory in in one of these games and get bowl eligible. And here's hoping to a, a desperation mode, a back-against-the-wall mentality that comes through and, you know, Florida finds a way to to, uh, to win one, two, put a streak together. I don't know. I don't see it happening there. But you know, put together a, a performance in one of these games where all three phases of the game come together for once. You know, as bad as it was last week and has been at times this season, go play the game, you know, the way it's supposed to be played. Give yourself a chance. I don't think this team would give up. I, I, that does, that's not in them. It, it doesn't look like. I think they'll go out there and play hard. Um, you know, but what's happened so far will won't be erased or no, no, nor will erase the issues we have seen so far that plagued this team. But Back against the wall. They need to respond. Upsets happen. Florida needs to be one of those to finish out the season. Yeah, I mean, getting that six wins is a big deal, right? I mean, all of the practices for as young as this team is, that's one of the reasons why the Arkansas loss is so disappointing is that was the one you pointed to and said, look, you're going to earn yourself a lot of a lot of reps that's going to propel you into 2024. You still have three games left to be able to do that. Now, I think Missouri and Florida State, when you look at their yards per play on offense and yards per play allowed on defense, are, are really solid teams that don't have giant weaknesses. And so there's not going to be necessarily a place where you look at that and say Florida will exploit that. That's not the case with LSU. So last week, um, one of the things that I said was that Arkansas had a weak offense and a pretty good defense, and then Florida obviously a weak defense and a pretty good offense. And so it was, hey, week on week and average versus average was essentially what you had. And week on week, Arkansas won that battle, and that's how they win the game. Well, this week it's completely different. So LSU has a dynamic offense. Florida has a pretty good offense. Florida has a terrible defense and LSU's defense is just as bad, if not worse. And so now you've got strong on week and strong on week going in each direction, whenever the offense is around the field. And interestingly, when you look at like the core stats, Alabama is pretty close to Florida in terms of offensive output this year. And Alabama just torched LSU up and down the field, up and down the field, up and down the field. And like you mentioned, you may end up with Garrett Nussmeyer playing instead of Jaden Daniels. Now, look, Jaden Daniels has Heisman level numbers Mm -hmm. when it comes to like his quarterback rating is 200. Um, His yards above replacement rating, which is the way I measure quarterbacks, is up over three, which is 3.71, which is Heisman level. (laughs) 
He's averaging 6.7 yards per rush at 11.3 yards per attempt. Like these are elite, elite, elite numbers from Jaden Daniels, but he's also a big reason why their offense is as dynamic as it is. If Daniels isn't playing, now all of a sudden you got Nussmeyer in there. Nussmeyer actually, um, his high school stats are pretty good. 72% completion his his senior year, 33 touchdowns, five interceptions, but only 9.5 yards per attempt. He was 152nd ranked recruit overall, four-star back in, I think it was 2020 or 2021. Um, but his high school profile is pretty close to like Luke Del Rio. Really, really accurate, but not necessarily going downfield all that often. Um, you read his 24-7 pro- pro- his 24-7 profile, it talks about it being limited physically. And they don't just mean arm strength, though. That's one of the things they mean. The other thing is in his time at LSU, he's got seven rush attempts for negative 58 yards. Didn't run very highly. Didn't run very much in uh, in high school either at the quarterback position. So what you've got is somebody who's much more stationary, apt to take sacks, relatively young, has uh, young in terms of experience, experience on the field, mm-hmm. and just a definite downgrade from Jaden Daniels. So if I look at that and say – what if LSU's offense sort of falls to where Florida's offense is and Florida's defense and LSU's defense are basically equivalently mm-hmm. awful. And what if Florida's offense can take a step up? Because, you know, we, we looked at last week and said, well, Arkansas's offense has been bad all year, but maybe the elixir will, I think you used the word elixir <laughs> in, in your post game. Maybe the elixir is Florida's defense. And sure enough, it was, well, maybe the elixir for Florida's offense is LSU's defense here. I can see a scenario where Florida is able to pull this one out, especially if Nussmeyer is, yeah. is it, uh, is it quarterback? I think the other, ones are going to be tall tasks so this is the one where desperation i think needs to really rear its head and again this is one of those where you're gonna have to play clean you can't turn the ball over you can't have a bunch of false starts on third and ones you got to convert those you got to make sure you make all the blocks when you when you call the right screen pass at the right time you got to make sure you hit the blocks and that you hit it big you got to have trey wilson as a big part of your game plan and not go away from it in the second quarter because you've gotten away from your script your defense is going to have to hold the edge your defensive tackles are going to have to get some push all those different things can florida do all those things all at the same time they haven't been able to do it all year so far maybe against tennessee in the first half is probably the closest as they've come to that but you know again stranger things have happened certainly you think about the 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 2020 LSU mm-hmm. game where the fog rolls in and and all that sort of stuff and that was a game where you know LSU walked into that game wounded they walked Bad. into that game really smarting off of some of the losses that they'd taken Orgeron essentially was a dead man walking and uh you know you have all those different things that are going on. Max Johnson comes in, mm-hmm. barely know anything about him, and just torches Grantham's defense in that game. Can't stop anybody, and and Florida's able or and LSU's able to pull it out and really sort of ruin Florida's season there in 2020. So hey, you got the same opportunity. Obviously, LSU's six and three. It's a little bit different than uh, <laughs> than that year. But one of the interesting things I think is if you look, so LSU's lost to Florida State, they've mm-hmm. lost to Ole Miss, and they've lost to Alabama. Their best win is on the road against Missouri. And other than that, yeah. it's sort of Arkansas, it's Mississippi was, uh, State, it's yeah. Auburn, it's Army. Um, th- those are the wins. Florida has a better win. So the win over Tennessee is a better win than any of those wins that that LSU has. LSU's lost the games where they've played excellent teams. So if Florida can come out and be an excellent team, I think they have an opportunity to beat LSU. They just haven't been able to do that all year long, yeah. <laughs> except for except for that first half against Tennessee. So they're gonna have to sort of put everything together, right? Like eight out of ten on third downs. They're yeah. gonna have to put the ball in the end zone when they got an opportunity. They're gonna have to get some pressure up the middle and get a turnover. All those all those little things you look at that you know you go, well, we 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 chipped something here. We chipped. We took a you know took a small step forward here, a small step forward here, a small step forward here. They're gonna have to take all those small steps and put them all together. I don't have a lot of faith they can do it because I haven't seen them do it yet. 
but I can see all those small steps throughout mm-hmm. the year, and hopefully they're able to put those all together. Well, I, I wrestle with something if Jaden Daniels plays. Florida is absolutely not winning a shootout, I don't think. Now, you chronicled LSU's defensive problems. They're absolutely there. I don't still don't think you can outscore them. So I think if Daniels plays, can you find a way to ugly the game up? Can you do? Can, can you finally get the run game going? But the problem is there. You'd love to take advantage of LSU secondary. That is the weak part of their defense to get passed over, passed on by everybody. But I think to keep their offense off the field, can you find a running game to to maybe eat the clock as much as possible, and then hit the passes when you have to, just because they're that you know it may be there because of the way their secondary uh, is weak. Now if Nussmeyer's there. I think you can win in a shootout. Yeah, I think you can win a 40-38 type of game. But if Daniels is the guy, I do I, I wrestle with the best plan of attack when building a game plan. And hopefully you can adapt if you have to in the game. But you know, I, I think when you start putting it together, do you try and establish the run early and eat that clock as much as possible to keep Jane Daniels on the sideline? Or do you just come out, try and wing it and sling it and try and keep up as best you can? I mean, so I think if you're just looking at LSU's offense, or I'm sorry, if you just look at LSU's defense, you can do it either way. They're 103rd in yards per rush given up. They give up 4.8 yards per rush. They're 105th in yards per pass at 8.1. Now, Florida this year has been a little bit, been significantly better through the air. They're 45th in yards per pass. They're 94th in yards per rush. So, um, you know, one of the problems that Florida has is they haven't been able to establish the run. But this is a place where LSU is so bad that they might be able to establish the run in a way they haven't been able to in other games just because their, their front is going to be evenly matched or even maybe a little bit better than LSU's front. Um, I think Harold Perkins can still be a real problem mm-hmm. if you're just dropping back, right? You're going to have yeah, to right. run at him. In fact, if you look at the the times when LSU has been taken advantage of, when Perkins has been neutralized, it's when people have run directly at him. I think there's an opportunity to run at Perkins, take advantage of his aggressiveness, get in behind him, and all of a sudden you can pop some big plays. I think, look, you're good. all season long, Nick and I have been saying feed seven, feed two. I still think you got to do that. I think feed three has gotten added into mm-hmm. that. I think the... Um, swing passes to the running backs, pitches to the running backs, um, finding creative ways to get them the ball um, certainly would be would be a welcome change. I think that, uh, but I don't know that you need to go too far away from what you do on a day to day basis. Because again, if you just execute your core eight, nine, ten concepts in this game, you should be able to take advantage of LSU's defense. And and I disagree with you from this from a shootout perspective because I would have said the exact same thing about Alabama coming into that game this weekend. Mm. I would have said Alabama doesn't want to get into a shootout. If Alabama's in a shootout, that's a problem because Jalen Milrow is yeah. not going to be able to keep drives going. He's not going to be able to sustain drives. He hits deep shots a lot, takes a lot of deep shots, but he's not consistent enough to keep the chains moving. And it turns out LSU's defense is so bad that Milrow was able to take advantage of it. But Bama could actually hit the deep shot. Well, so different different way of operating, right? So one of the really interesting things, if you look at explosive plays for Florida on offense, they're actually 22nd in the country with 16.2 10-plus yard plays per game. It drops off the table, though. They're 67th (laughs) in the country with 20-plus yard plays, 97th, 30-plus yard plays, and 
and 95th in 40 plus yard plays. So they, they hit a bunch of 10 yard plays. What they don't hit is a bunch of 20, 30, and 40 yard plays. If you look at LSU's defense, they're 120th in 10 plus yard plays. Mm-hmm. Line. They give up 15.7 per game. They're also 105th in 20 plus yard plays. They're 96th in 30 plus yard plays and 100th in 40 plus yard plays. So they, so, they're, they're, they're Florida's defense in those, in those regards. <laughs> yeah, they're pretty close, except yeah. Florida's defense actually doesn't give up a bunch of 10 plus yard plays. They yeah, just right, get right. Yeah, I meant I meant in the 20, 30, 40 yard range. Yeah. yeah. So so what what I'm what I'm suggesting is is that Florida should be able to move the ball consistently and pick mm-hmm. up third downs. And if we look at what's happened all year long, when Florida has been successful on third down, they have been successful offensively. I don't really see a massive path for LSU to be able to get them off the field a ton. Now, look, if you don't block people on a screen pass that you throw behind the line of scrimmage on third and four, you're screwed. So you still have to execute things appropriately in order to get in order to get what you need to get. You're but, telling me I, those stats, I'm not throwing one single screen pass. <laughs> well, and, and I think this is one of those games where Etienne and Johnson need 40 carries. I, I, think, that, I think this I is think one of those so. where – if you can't run the ball against LSU, it's because you can't run the ball. Yeah. And if you can't run the ball, especially if Jaden Daniels is the quarterback, you're doomed. And so keep him off the field as best you can. But I mean, we saw what happens when they get a gash play. ETN goes quick, yeah. right? And and it turns out they threw that little screen pass out to ETN and also quick, right? So there, there are some opportunities if you can get those running backs in space and linebackers. Like that's the thing is that you have real opportunities to take advantage of LSU's linebackers in a way with Trey Wilson and with mm-hmm. ETN and with Montreal Johnson. Do that. I think you've got some stuff on the outside and their secondary and stuff like that you might oh, be able to take advantage of with Pearsall. They're boarding him in there too. Absolutely. But again, it, it comes back to feed two, feed seven, have creative ways to get the ball to three, convert on third downs when you have the opportunity, and just you're going to have to be tougher than them. And, you know, one of the reasons LSU's defense is as bad as it is, is they've been just as paper tough, just as paper tigery as, as Florida has been, right? And whichever, this is one of those where you look at it and you go, that is the weakness. And whichever one finally gets embarrassed by the way they've been playing and is able to toughen up and really come and lay the wood is the one that's going to end up winning this game. And, and it's possible for Florida to be that team. Haven't seen it all year, or at least not against when they haven't played Charlotte or, uh, or McNeese. Haven't seen it all year. But there's an opportunity, and we'll see if they're able to get it done. Yep, yep, yep. So I'm eager to see it. I mean, night game at Death Valley. Florida LSU always got dramatics, always got theatrics here. So we'll see. Can't, well, we can't have LSU winning five freaking games in a row over Florida. That's just unbelievable. Well, so if if nothing, if this game, if this series has taught me nothing, it's that LSU usually comes in awful on special teams and then runs some ridiculous fake field goal or something that wins them the game. So that is the reverse. Like Billy Napier needs to do that. Remember a few years ago when when they had the they were practicing or they were kicking a field goal and the kicker throws it behind him yeah. and it hits the ground and bounces right up cap, to their yeah. kicker and he keeps running it like completely botched the play yeah. like and still ends up winning like that's the kind of thing that florida kind of needs to have happen is they need to have something where like you know just even when they screw something up they get a lucky break or two and but that's the thing is that this LSU game specifically, one or two breaks might be enough for Florida to pull it out if they play well. Whereas I think against Missouri and against Florida State, those two teams are going to have to help the Gators in order for them to win those games. 
Yeah, we'll see. If Jaden Daniels plays, absolutely no shot. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, as I said, you have to ugly that game up as much as possible. Maybe they somehow just get like five drives the whole game. I don't know. I'm yeah, that's exaggerating the truth there, but um, yeah, that, that's the path. It, it's something like that where you ugly the game up, and as you said, as Nick says, V two, V seven, and that's about it. That's the only path I see it. But uh, yeah. We'll see there. We'll see there. Well, I mean, Florida LSU is always a fun game. Um, you know, as you're watching it most of the time, except for the ending. So hopefully we get the hopefully we get the ending this time. But I don't think you. I don't think either you and I are, are picking it, no matter who the quarterback is for LSU. So, but I mean, we'll see. I, I I keep talking myself into these sort of ridiculous <laughs> things as I look at it. So I I, I can't. I, I won't I, be. I won't be. It, it will be closer, but I won't. I won't be picking no matter. Well, who and it depends on what you mean by picking them, because I think I saw the opening spread was something like fourteen and a half or something yeah. like that. No, 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 I mean, I mean, I mean, picking Florida to win. I mean, mm-hmm. no matter who the quarterback is. I mean, of course, if Daniels is your I main, that's up there with one of the best offenses in the country with Dan, with, with Daniels. So. I don't know, man. You seen him play defense? <laughs> I seen him play defense. I've, I just. I, this way, if if both defenses are about equal, give me the more consistent offense that's playing at home. And that's yeah, I, that's you, you know what you know what will end up happening is that we'll get a too many men on the field on like a fourth and one, <laughs> and, and that'll be what ends up costing the game. And I'll uh, just like we'll have to come on and talk about it afterwards. It'll just be miserable. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, as far as LSU, there's been some weird stuff this game. So we'll see. let's get some fog, buddy. Let's get some fog. Let's get some weird weird stuff going on. All right, well, man, uh, anything else you got to preview out on Wednesday, Thursday this week, I'm assuming? Yeah, there will be a preview out, and then I, I am writing something about Napier. Might be out this week, might be out next week, but uh, should be fun. All righty, all righty. Will Miles, readandreaction.com, YouTube at Read and Reaction as well. I am the host of Gators Breakdown, David Waters. You can find me on social media at GatorDave underscore SEC and at Gators Breakdown. Guys and girls out there, thank you for joining us on this episode of Gators Breakdown. Gators Breakdown.